I think that it just empowers us as leaders to empower our teams to say, hey, we want you to just solely focus on what is the most important thing to us, which is that progress and that growth. So huge shifts. Each day across the country, there are thousands of incredible Centria team members working to better the lives of autistic individuals. We will be highlighting the journey of these remarkable people and getting their unique perspective on how they stay connected to the mission in their positions. And then I'll connect their story to a principle in behavior analysis to further illuminate the application of our science. We're your hosts. I'm Timothy Yeager. And I'm Lisa Cunningham. And this is the Do Wonders Podcast. Well, welcome, Laura, to the podcast. So excited to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Just to kick it off, let's just like, tell the audience who you are, how long, like what you do at Century, and how long you've been doing it. Yeah, for sure. So I'm currently the Area Director of Clinical Services for Texas. Um, I have been with Centria for almost four years in January, started as a director in San Antonio, and then I um, helped with uh, Houston and in Austin, took over, and then I assisted with Dallas. Um, and then I did some operations things too. So uh, just wore all the hats for a little bit, and now I get to focus on clinical. So Awesome. Excited. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to think about you, Laura, is like the many hats you wear and, and how you approach all the different jobs that you've had across this organization. And um, one thing I'm consistently impressed by you is uh, what you give to the job and what you bring to the job. Um, there are many days that I, I wake up in a place where I'm like not in the best of spirits and best of the moods and my team knows it. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way at times, but I think it's on a rare occasion that people know it. And so as a leader, Aww, I think that's, that a, that's a really so good quality. Sweet. I appreciate that. I, I, I will say that I've been so blessed to have just great team members. So it's not hard. Um, but but no, I mean, I think I I love to to work as a team to make sure that my team feels supported because they do the hard stuff. And so the fun stuff, but also there are hard days. So I just want to be of support to them to my team members that are listening though they don't make it hard on me either it's just me so don't take <laughs> no it. no not for you it's just a hard day and i would say that like laura i think that we should stop for a moment and just recognize like it's it truly is an incredible aspect of your personality i think you're kind of like you exude joy and optimism and it's contagious and i think people want to be around that you're very magnetic in that regard and i think it's good to know that because not everyone has that and so when you see it in other people it's certainly you know for those of us that do have bad days it's like man i gotta be more like laura so <laughs> sweet. I appreciate that i will say during covid there was a transition period from like connecting with people's energies in person to on video was so hard. So that was a transition period for me. No know. doubt. So, well, you figured it out. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> so then how did your role at Disneyland prepare you for that like type of approach? Like, was that the person you were going into that role or did that like bring that out in you? Um, no, I think that's probably been the person that I have always been. Oh. Uh, but yeah, and Disney, it was, I will say so Disney World, so we didn't have nice oh. California weather. It was very humid, um, and I was in full costumes, um, so uh, it was tough. <laughs> it was hot and swampy, and um, but no, it was great. So, I always thought it was Disneyland. I didn't realize it was Disney World. Yeah, Disney World, Florida. Yep. What'd you do? What'd you do there? And when when did you do that job? So I was friends with um, a few different male characters because. Um, goes by height in 5'9". Uh, so I was friends with Eeyore, Rafiki, Green Army Man Soldier, Lotso. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Toy Story 3, but um, those were not the best interactions with kids. <laughs> um, let me think. Yeah, I think those were the big... Oh, Pluto. Friends with Pluto. That was another big one. So, And it would just depend. I'd be at different parks. Um, so it was fun. Yeah. And when did, what was the next, what was the other question? When did I do it? Yeah. When, did you, when was that? Yeah. When did you work it there? It was 20, it, I think it was 2010. Mm. Yeah. What leads you down that path? Like, how, how do you, like, how does that happen? It was, um, I was in college and they said, there's this internship program. And I was like, Disney, I mean, everything about Disney is magical and fun. And this 
seems like a really great opportunity that has nothing to do with anything that I'm going to school for um, because it was that's the way that they promoted it. You can get credits for X, Y, and Z. Um, nothing pertained to what I was doing in psych, uh, but I thought I'm going to do it. So signed up and um, did it. That's awesome. Yeah. That is really fun. I feel like I have some friends who have done Disney program and I came, my background's hospitality, right? So a lot more folks that are Disney oh. for lifers. Oh. Um, but yeah, the, the internship program is the gateway, right? I have never, I thought I liked Disney and um, not comparable <laughs> to people that like after their shift, they wanted to be at Disney. And I was like, I want to get away from here. <laughs> like, this is where I work. So like. You had good balance right from well, like the really get go on that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. What's your journey at Century been like? You, you talked about the different roles that you've had, but like, when you just take a step back and think about maybe your growth as a, as an individual, you know, during this time and, and the company's growth. Like, yeah. What comes that's, to mind? Wow, that's a great question. I would say from the start um, of being in the director role. So it was a very different kind of role when I started in San Antonio. It was this pop-up model, right? So yeah. um, not only were you taking on the role of a director, you held a caseload until you had BCBAs, transferred them off. Off, um, We did insurance verification. We were the off team. So I, got, I, I learned about different portals and insurances and all the things. Um, and so there was there was automatically that responsibility of operations um, while still trying to manage the clinical quality aspect. And then once we had enough you know enough clients, we started hiring clinicians on. Um, so then it was that aspect too. And then we had to just keep that same flow going. Uh, so I would say that at the from the start it was go. I mean there was no other there was no other option. It was like we're going to make this successful. So. Um, and I think that it's just been kind of that steady way. After we were we were finally stable, then um, we got transferred to uh, Houston and Austin. And so it was then the next challenge of that. And then it was Dallas, right? So um, I think the constant theme has just been um, continuously challenging. Myself has been really great. Um, and I, I don't think there was time to like stop and think about it. It was like, okay, what's the next challenge? Let's go. Um, because I think San Antonio, we started, which was my initial drive for coming, you know, into the company was being able to create a really positive culture and a safe environment mm -hmm. where clinicians felt supported to do their best work. Right. And so um, I think that having San Antonio as that foundation, once we took Houston on and Austin on, we were able to already transfer that same culture. And then the same thing was when we um, took on Dallas, we already had this really strong foundation. So I think for myself, it was it was really transferring like all of that into being a leader and um, making sure that I was also in the same token developing leaders to then continue that same culture and, and continue that same quality. Like I always want clinicians to feel supported so that um, they they can just go in and do their job. We know that there are really hard days um, walking in um, to sessions to, to, you know, difficulty with maybe family challenges. And so I think just having someone that you know is going to support you through that um, is crucial. So I would say like my development um, in leadership has, has kind of been um, that component and then Centria, oh my goodness, there has been a huge shift from when I started to to where it is now. So I mean, I think that all of us go into this field as clinicians because our heart is in in helping in helping and in wanting to see growth and specifically right in our field is is for our families, for our clients, growth and development. And um, we want them to be successful. So I think starting where we were, to where we are now, there's been such a shift in now it being completely focused on that clinical quality aspect, which is for a clinician, like the dream and what we want to do. And so I, I think that it just empowers us as leaders to empower our teams to say, hey, we want you to just solely focus on what is the most important thing to us, which is that progress and that growth. So huge shifts. I agree. I mean, I've been with Centria going over six years and just watching that evolution clinically has been awesome. And I think, you know, your 
absolutely one of the individuals we look to that someone who has grown and taken on challenges, right? Like head first and saying, hey, we don't know how we're going to get there, but we agree on the direction and we know there's going to be support. And I think, you know, as we have a lot of successes, I think about how we've evolved as an organization, like your success story as well in that. Um, and so I'd love to ask a question. You know, we got to hear about work and your journey um, and what brought you here. But what is life like outside of work for Laura? Who are you? Yeah. Well, I'm a mom. <laughs> it's like full-time job after work. Yep. I do. I have a, I have a six-year-old and I'm a four-year-old. And so I think it's um, really, really, I mean, as much time as, as I can when I'm off of work is just pouring into them. They're kind of at those really fun ages, but also those ages that are so moldable and, and there's so mm -hmm. many outside just uh, challenges, right? That, that we face with social media and all the things. So I think just like pouring into them is, is so important, making sure that they're in sports and all the things. So we, we do that. My, my daughter does soccer and well, we attempted for my son to do t-ball, but um, he's just not really a sports guy, and that's okay. Like, we're like, he's going to be our little accountant, and we've accepted it. <laughs> so, I don't think I've ever talked to you about this, Laura. But so I'm on I'm on TikTok, yeah, and um, I'm only on TikTok because. Okay. Um, David, our CEO, like, will send me TikToks to like look at. <laughs> Um, and so, so I had to, I had to create an account, right? Um, and I created an account and I still need to figure out how to, how to use the TikTok. Like I'm, I'm just an old man now at this point, like, but like, TikTok. <laughs> the TikTok. <laughs> um, but I created an account, right? This is like my, my, my name is like, nobody, you know, like, I'm just trying to like stay like hidden. I don't want people to sure. know it's my account. And yet still people are following me that I, that I there's something in the background. I don't know. However, yeah. Eventually, I got suggested to your account, and like, oh my gosh, I knew you brought TikTok up. I knew that this was coming up. <laughs> you're somewhat like TikTok famous. Oh my goodness. Okay, so let me talk to you about. Uh, <laughs> I get like into these kind of, um, I I call it kind of like obsessive tendencies, where like when my mind gets on some like onto something, I'm very. Uh, laser focused and whatever that is, right? So in college, I was super into working out and lifting and became a personal trainer as I was doing my master's program. Like I was like, I want to do a bodybuilding competition, like very intense, right? Um, so different things like that. I got into couponing. I was super into couponing. I was like, I just bought 12 shampoos and 15 deodorants for 15 cents, like very like obsessive like that, right? Um, and then it like dies off. Okay, so um, it was actually, I was with Centria actually, right, when this happened, and I think it was probably the first or second year of starting San Antonio, and so we were go, 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 and I had totally forgotten to take PTO like the entire year, and my all my PTO was going to expire, so I had to take a certain amount of time off, and then I was like, what do I do with my life? I don't know what to do with this time off, hadn't planned anything, and so I was like, you know what? My pantry is a disaster, and it, it, it was this kind of like, huge like pantry and it was like bizarre how, how big that pantry was um and it was a disaster and so i was like this is my mission i'm going to take everything out and then i'm gonna organize it and so i, I was very obsessive about it went to the container store bought all of the things it was a full day event was this during home edit time like was this like during the home edit craze on that like yeah um no i actually never watched that i think i honestly oh. totally saw organization on tiktok because at that oh. point i was like going down <laughs> yeah rabbit holes on tiktok so i was like i'm gonna do this um and and so i did it and i just videoed like this is the way my um the way my pantry looked before and this is the way it looked after and it it got like i don't know 500,000 views and like it just blew up and then I felt committed like I was like now I have to actually organize and I don't even like organizing um, <laughs> so I kept on organizing for like a month and I hated every single part of my life as I was doing it but I was like I have followers now and now like they need it they need to know <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so it got way too overwhelming. Uh, I deleted the app. <laughs> so that's my story on TikTok. <laughs> that's on TikTok. <laughs> that is amazing. I like how you're like, yeah, you know, I can pretty much do anything that I put my mind to. And here's an example. It's easy. You know, just go be an influencer. You just need a little oh, bit of PTO. No. <laughs> I'm not about that. Like, also, because I'm such a people pleaser, like, please don't leave me in mean comments. Like, please don't. Like, no, thank you. I'm deleting this app. <laughs> 
That is awesome. I feel like, Timothy, we got to incorporate this more into podcasts, like fun facts. <laughs> for research. <laughs> oh, I've been prepared for Laura for a while. I've been prepping for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually brought it up, I think, the uh, last time we were in Michigan. And um, Kelly was like, so do you know, maybe we can use that platform for like kids with autism. Maybe we can switch it around, see if anybody's in New Mexico. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, too much pressure. <laughs> what? Uh, we'll say keep. Let's keep going backwards a bit. And yeah. like, what was like the early life for Laura? Maybe some like transformative moments that experienced like in your your life, and and what led you to this this field? Ooh, yeah, good question. Um, well, I knew I I knew very early on that I wanted to work with children. So I was like, that is something that I a hundred percent brings me joy, and I want to do something that brings me joy. Uh, I come from a family of educators. Every single person probably in my family is a teacher, a principal, a speech therapist in the school, an OT, somebody, something, right? Um, so I knew very early on that um, probably didn't want to be a teacher. I was like, I do like the one-on-one stuff, but so many, I mean, teachers, my hat's off to them. It's, it's, it's a lot. Um lots of, you know, lots of children, all the different demands. Um, and so I knew that I wanted, I loved that kind of one-on-one interaction more to pour into that one child. Um, and so I tried different things. I thought I wanted to do speech therapy. I was like, I think I'm going to really like this. And I observed and I did all the things. Um, and then I did my first intro class in communication. I was like, oof, learning about how the mouth works is not the most exciting thing. (laughs) Um, so then I was going to go into um, OT. And so I graduated, loved psych. And so I graduated with psych with my minor in um, early childhood intervention. And I was like, my, I was, I'm going to do OT, but I needed some prereqs and I needed a job. Um, so I found ABA and I was like, oh, this seems great. I seem qualified. This, is, this would be great. And I um, started my first um, direct position and uh and i fell in love with it i was like this is like not doing ot anymore this is what i'm gonna do and then i applied for my master's program and i feel like that was a hundred percent a pivotal moment but also nobody talks about like it's a it's a very unknown it was a very unknown kind of feel like it's not something you like learn about in college or people are advertising and so i really felt like it was um something that i i luckily came across um and and i'm so incredibly thankful and blessed that I did because um, if not, I might probably would have been an OT right now, which is great. Uh, but I, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I loved the behavior at like all of it that, yeah. that came with kind of the beginning phases of me loving psych. Uh, so it was wonderful. I'm open up a, 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 you know, possibly a conversation that we don't want to talk about, but let's just yeah. have fun with it. Um, yeah. One thing that I hear in your story, and I continue to hear in your story, mm-hmm. and I think it's similar to my story. I bet it's similar to Lisa's story, which is the, um, the willingness to say yes, mm-hmm. right? To like a new challenge, mm-hmm. a new thing, a new opportunity, a new TikTok fad, right? Like um, saying yes. Yeah. There's a downside to that. There's a, there's a good side to that, and there's a downside to that. And um, I thought maybe the three of us could just talk about that a little bit. Um, Cause I, and I know like in your willingness to say yes, quite a bit of times that that gets you to a point of being like stretched yeah. right? and maybe stretched too much. Yeah. Um, For sure. And in, a, and in a field, in a field of people who want to say yes and people like, like that share our heart and empathy to like do more and do like more. Um, there's a downside to that as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think we see that so often in our field and we have so many great, um, advocates for it, but like BCBA burnout is a real thing, you know, um, it, it, it's that, um, definitely is that, that, um, aspect of it's hard to say no, because you want to be there for everybody. You want to help everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, and, and it's like a saying we all, we've, we've been telling our clinicians like, Hey, you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. And so you need to take care of yourself. And so again, I think that goes back to kind of the culture aspect of, of us. But I, I think as leaders, we have to help keep our team accountable um, for setting those boundaries because it's not a natural or easy thing to do for a lot of people in this field. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think just like myself being in that position, it, it, it wasn't until I got to a point where it was a hard realization of like, I, 
I haven't even really been present to put my kids to bed. Like I have my laptop open as I'm putting them to bed. And um, like I, it, it was like no actual quality time because I had so many things to meet um, and I didn't want to let my team down. And so it, it was kind of that moment of like, hey, that realization and reflection of like, you're kind of letting your kids down right now, right? And so like, there are no boundaries, right? Uh, right now. And, and so for me, it was more of that hard realization. Um, but but yeah, saying yes is is uh, very easy. Saying no isn't. Yeah. Which it's kind of interesting thinking about that, right? Because it's about who you're saying yes to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you reflect on that, because yeah. I've caught myself in that, like, this sounds weird, but like, I just love working. Like I get a lot of gratification yeah. from it. Like I think yeah. it's something that like clicks for me. Right. Um, especially like kind of relatively what we've all chosen as our past unique to us. Right. Like we're doing things we enjoy. Yeah. Um, and so yes, often means like new opportunities and challenges, mm-hmm. but you know, there's only one of us. And so it's saying yes, sometimes to work means just not even answering the question, maybe in your personal relationships or at home. And and to that point, like being able to reflect on like what you're saying yes to. And I also think, you know, I'm sure we've all like seen this, whether it's on like, Instagram or whoever you follow, right on social media, that saying no is a really powerful thing. And a lot of it's like the art of saying no, and truly being able to evaluate because whether, you know, you mentioned people pleaser, I like to be seen like, I kind of feel like HR always has to has an, have an answer. Like we gotta be like, the like, let's figure this out people. But I have found that there's generally, even if I'm like, oh, that's a great question. Let me find out, I'll get back to you. Or, you know, this is the first time I've been asked that question. Can you give me a little bit of time to research it? No one's ever been like, good Lord, Lisa, like you need to know everything, you know? And I think similarly with saying no or saying, a well, that's, you know, taking a beat before you say yes mm-hmm. to think about like what are the implications of that or help me understand or approaching it with curiosity and then thinking about it. I don't know. There's kind of like a visualization I like to do where it's like the problem's not here. It's not you. But like look at it objectively outside of yourself and then you can kind of see it from a different vantage point to realize that, you know, saying yes, what are at what expense and is there even a better answer yeah. potentially than yes for all parties involved? Yeah, I love that. What a great, like, what a great motto, I think, to give to our teams. Like, who are you saying yes to? And like, that's, that's, that's wonderful to kind of reflect on. I just wrote that down. Every no is a yes to something. Yeah. Right. Like, because in in our world as behavior analysts, it's, it's, there's a similar corollary, which is like, we talk about escape maintained behavior. We talk about attention or access maintained behavior, but like, people always escape to something, right? You escape to access, mm-hmm. you escape to attention. So if you're saying no to something, you're saying yes to something else. And if you're saying yes to something, you're saying no. And I, and I, I love that perspective. I also yeah. like what It's pretty you powerful, said. just that statement. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, you're so right. The other thing that, that I heard you say, Laura, and it really resonates with me is like leaders need to model this. Mm-hmm. And just happened today. Um, I had a 5 a.m. meeting this morning I, for those listening, I live on the West Coast. The majority of our organizations on the East Coast, and I've, you know, spent as much time as I can to at least start my day on East Coast hours. And I have a newborn baby at home, um, and I'm not getting a lot of sleep. And um, I'm not always the best. Also, at six a.m. or <laughs> you know, like at five a.m. I mean, I am, you know, I, I teeter on the side of being a jerk most of the time. But like at five a.m., like it is even harder. Um, and I, I overslept. I missed the meeting completely. Set my alarm, didn't wake up. Um, called my boss, David, at like 5.30. And I'm like, dude, I, I, I totally missed it. I am really sorry. And I was nervous in that moment. Um, and David's like, you know what, Tim? Like, you got to take care of yourself. Like, we got to figure out a way to, like, manage your calendar better. And you, we need to empower you to say no to 5 a.m. meetings. And like, that shouldn't be an expectation that we have on you. Um, and like, that was like a really, like a, a moment where I felt a lot of release as an employee, just like, just like, like a lot of like pressure and like, man, cause honestly the, the hours that I can sleep are usually like five to like seven thirty. It's like when the baby's like completely asleep. Um, and so the idea of modeling, um, and, and leaders demonstrating how to do it and, and encouraging providing psychological safety for people to say no is I think a really powerful, powerful 
Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I think um, that I think that's wonderful. And I think that it's also wonderful to have leaders that are so personable that they they understand the aspects of your life that you're going through and then and then can help you hold yourself accountable. Right. I remember um, David, actually, like we had a conversation about this when I was having absolutely no boundaries in my life. And um, one of the things he said was like, hey, you like at 630, like shut off, close your computer. Like you cannot save anybody at that point. Like, you know, and so, and that was helpful for me because I think it's hard. I, I, I don't want to let anybody down on my team. I want to make sure that like, if they need me, I am there. Um, but I think even in helping myself set those boundaries, it was, I have calendar invites for all of my directors and, and, um, they say, did you stop working at six 30? And they have to check yes or no. <laughs> so they were like keeping each other accountable because so often I was doing it. I was responding to things at like eight o'clock at night because I needed to make sure that I, some, somebody got this response, um, but everybody was looped in on it. And so then, you know, my directors are working at like eight o'clock at night or nine, you know, and I'm like, this is, you're right. You have to like make sure that you're modeling it too. So I think that's. I think that makes me think about something else too, from like a leadership perspective, like two things. Like one is I remember when I, you know, close to 10 years ago, I was taking over working in Chicago, right? I was HR manager at one of the W hotels and my boss was going on maternity leave. And she was like, Hey, so I'm stepping in, right? I'll be interim director. And she goes, I know you take your job really seriously. And I know you're going to do a great job while I'm out. And I just need you to know one thing. Like there's no decision that you can make while I'm out that is going to close the like hotel doors. <laughs> like there's just nothing will be put in your lap that would have that big of an impact. So I need you to just be confident in yourself and know that you got a support team and know that we're not going to put you in that situation. And I think about that, like it gave me kind of this sense of like, oh, okay, good. She's got she, trust. And yeah, that's a good reminder. I'm not going to like break the company <laughs> while she's out. But that is really the responsibility I think is on the leader to make sure too, that like roles are adequately scoped so that we're not putting people in those sorts of positions. But the whole yes, no thing, right? I mean, sometimes I think when we come across problems or issues, right, the thought is like, well, if I just work longer, or if I just work harder, and I think a piece of encouragement that like, we cannot probably all like, it might resonate with us, and hopefully some of our listeners as well is that sometimes we think as employees, like, oh, my boss knows when I'm struggling. And then the, the boss is like, oh, well, my team will come to me if they need help. But the person who like, quote, unquote, wins in that scenario is the one who speaks up first, right? And leaders are truly there to say, it's not about putting in more hours, but maybe this is I can help you view the problem differently, or I can help you. And I think that like, having open, real, vulnerable conversations on both ends, I think I have seen, and I'd love to hear y'all's perspective, but that usually brings about like, sometimes a better solution than anyone would have thought of on their own. And I, that's really where I think you can get that sort of support, right? And the, the whole yes, no sort of question on things where you get this different alternative view. I, I just had this conversation with David, Laura, that like, I'm like, David, I'm, I know I'm not being successful right now. And I know that like my performance is struggling and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working to improve it. And he's like, who told you that? Like, what do you mean you're struggling? And I'm like, well, here are the things I need to improve upon. He's like, you're just stretching, right? Like you, you've been given more responsibility. Your job's transitioned quite a bit in the last you know, few months. And uh, I've never told you you're struggling. I don't see you're struggling. And so let's talk about that, right? Um, um, which is a, you know, a continued example of just like psychological safety to be able to like have yeah. those conversations, right? Like, we have so many monsters under our bed that if we just don't talk about, they just grow. Um, yep. And I, and I was going to say that too, right? We have such great leaders. I feel like we've molded really incredible um, leaders that are, that are helping lead, you know, the clinical team. And, and with that though, I, I can speak for my market. They're incredibly hard workers and it is difficult for them to shut down because they similarly don't want to let anybody down on their team. And so I think those setting those boundaries, reassuring them as their leader, you know, that they're doing a wonderful job. And, but it is that kind of hard self-evaluation where like, I, I still, I, I still have more to give or there's still, um, but then it does, it will bleed into all the other aspects of your life if, if you don't set those boundaries. So. You know, I think the, there's, there's a couple of things I want to transition into a question for you, Laura is, um, 
I've been reflecting a lot around this idea that like one person can fix something or one person's like effort is the reason why something will change. And this idea that like, if something's not working, me just working an extra two hours that night, right? Is somewhat arrogant, right? It's like, I'm the reason why these are not working. And like, and my effort and like hard work is gonna fix this versus as a leader, stepping back and identifying like, what are the root causes that are leading to this? And like, how can I build my team and, and use my team as a leader to like fix the issue, right? Um, and so many times I, I feel resentment like late nights when I say yes to too many things and realize that like the issue is not them or, and the issue is not always me saying yes, the issue is that I did not properly delegate to a team that's more than capable to do the job and have the bandwidth to do the job. Um, and it's really an inadequ inadequacy of, of like my leadership and not like the people that I wanna blame. But the question I have for you, Lisa made a, point, a, a statement around like, a job that's adequately scoped and, and allowing someone to like thrive in, in that type of job. And when I think about your journey, Laura, I think many times you've had a job that was not adequately scoped and, um, and you said yes to a lot of things. And so I want to talk about the here and now and then your role as area director of clinical services, a brand yeah. new role to the, a brand new role to the organization, right? Um, mm -hmm in this shift and in this organizational like transition to be much more of a clinically led organization, we identified that we needed more clinical leaders closer to the field, be able to support our directors of clinical service. And, and we've hired seven area directors of clinical service and, and you're one. And so I thought maybe you could talk about this transition and, and maybe like what, you know, what a day in life looks like for you as an area director and like, what's a really good day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'll start off by saying, you saying that in a meeting, maybe it was like a week ago or two weeks ago, you said that in a meeting about um, making sure that you're delegating because one person can't take it, take it on. And that's resonated with me so much because uh, so often if there's a problem presented to me, I'm like, okay, where can I help? Let's figure out together. But then I like, if somebody swamped, I'm gonna pick it up and I'm gonna do the day-to-day, -day, right? And taking a step back and saying, hey, I have a team that's fully equipped, like a, a leadership team that's fully equipped. Now I need to start delegating. And it wasn't a shift in mindset for sure, because you just want to um, be as efficient as possible. And if, if I know how to do it and I can do it in a second, what? but then all the tasks start piling up and then you were working till 9, 10 p.m. at night because you've committed to this and now you have to do this. So anyway, that I'll start off and it doesn't lead to the sustainable change, right? It's not sustainable yeah, exactly. if you're always doing it. A hundred percent. And then, yeah, a hundred percent, especially I think with this new model where everything is, we have an entire operations team that has specific responsibilities, right? So it's not just falling on one person that's kind of both clinical and ops that that is kind of doing everything, right? Um, so I would say the shift has been wonderful, but was it easy at the start? No, because I <laughs> there's so much that um, you're used to uh, take, taking on, right? And that level also of um, if my day is not consumed every single minute and I am shoving food in my face for the first time at 5 p.m., like, then what am I doing? <laughs> like, it's this like, level of like, it was a huge shift for me, um, but I think it was that mindset, and it took it took a while for me to be like, "All right, like it, this is what I, you know." Um, but it was that mind shift of like, "This is what I've wanted to do as as a, even even becoming a director. This was what I wanted to do. Not only support my team of clinicians, but but be able to kind of dive into the clinical um, aspects of things. Whether it's, hey, we need to work on, or how can we support this client and this supervising clinician and this director now, right? Um, and so the shift, shifting my mindset to say, hey, you can let go of all these other things that you were doing and and trust that they're going to be done, with, you know, with, with a completely different team and that's okay. Um, and so shifting to the day-to-day -day now um, has been wonderful to just be overseeing the clinical department. I have amazing directors. And so um, I work with them on, on all different aspects, um, whether that is uh, making sure that we are, um, that, our, that our clinicians are, are able to provide 
uh, that level of, of supervision to their clients. Um, we are diving into clinical reviews, so case reviews, um, and, and that's so exciting, working with different insurances on their feedback and then working with our clinicians. Um, our, our new BT training that rolled out, that is phenomenal. And every single time I go in and do an overlap, I get re-excited all over again. And I tell every single supervising clinician and every director, if you are at the center or if you have a break, sit down in the BT training because it's so great for them also to, to see how engaging and how amazing our, our trainers are, one, but how the curriculum is set up to really um, provide that level of, of direct training and support to new trainees that have never been in this field. And I will say that we have had um, people that have gone through the 40 hour Relias course that we're sending back, like if they maybe are in between cases, we're sending them back to the in-person training. And, and the feedback that we're getting is this is, this is incredible, right? This is such a game changer and I feel so much more equipped. Um, so I do overlaps. Let me sum that up. That's phenomenal. I got off track because uh, it makes me very excited. I was there this week. Um, but I oversee the BT trainers and I do fidelity assessments and competency, competency assessments um, to make sure that we're still staying on track and that, um, and they are all phenomenal. So I do that too, which is really great because I can provide that kind of clinical insight and clinical feedback um, to them. So that's very exciting. Um, we, yeah, the, the intake aspect too. So getting to work with Dr. Callahan, that's super um, great, but being able to dive into a diagnostic evals and, and, and all of the, the other aspects that I think we're focusing on an intake to make sure that we um, are equipped um, to serve, to service, you know, the, the, the type of clients that fall under our service model. And so all of that is really great because it is strictly clinical, but it's diving into so much of the quality aspects so that we can support the clinicians throughout like the case progression. So Anyway, I talked and probably really fast, so I'm sorry if that all just came out like word vomit. <laughs> this podcast is used to having Lisa on it, so talking, talking fast is not a concern. Oh, just in good company here, that's all. <laughs> just slow it down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but thanks for sharing that, Laura. I think that's awesome. And just to kind of give a flavor for some of the different things that you and your team is focusing on and the change that they're bringing about, I think it's all, for me personally, plays into just my continued excitement about the future here. You know, sad to say, last question, but you know, we'd really love to end a little bit about understanding, like, what's your why? Yeah. Um, well, I, the clients, like at the end of the day, right? I think that everything I tie back to, I tie back to my experiences, even as a clinician, right? So you know, even with our new mentorship program, or like the, you know, foundations of care and diving into SBT and PFA, all of, all of the clinical initiatives that, again, Centria has, we've grown so much. And the focus being that has always been um, my why, right? So as a clinician, like walking in and seeing, um, I've had clients that have had previous trauma from, you know, being at, you know, another, another center and like, traditional ABA and compliance-based ABA, right? And having to work on just the skills to um, advocate for themselves, right? Like all of those, all of those really huge things, seeing how impactful it is for not only them, like I had a client that could not say no, like she was so trained to say yes, she would cry through saying yes. Like, and we were like, it's okay, you don't have to do it, right? Um, and uh, we, we had to just work through like the advocating aspect um, and all of those things. Can, I will share one story. I share this with everybody because, but I, this is part of my why. Um, this one specific client that had a ton of trauma. Um, she, and was recent, probably really recently, like in the last year, my technician who has been on that case for a very long time and the family is just absolutely phenomenal and so incredibly uh, dedicated um, to, to her. She uh, loves Katy Perry, absolutely adores her. Um, and so she will seeing her, like she'll go say, Alexa, play. Katy Perry, play Roar by Katy Perry. Um, and so we were, she was sitting there and she texted me and she said, oh my goodness, like sitting down and listening to the lyrics of Katy Perry, where we were to where we are right now. Um, the lyrics are like, I, I, like I lost my voice. Um, I forgot I had a voice and, and now I found it and now I'm going to roar. And like, so if you even just read that, like first portion of the lyrics, it gives me chills. Um, but a hundred percent, that's my why. And I think like everything that we're doing company wide 
is so focused on that. And so I think it only just drives that initial passion. So, yeah. Love that. that yeah. That was awesome. Thanks for, for sharing that and yeah. just bringing it to what a client is feeling, right? Yeah. When they go through this with the ascent-based care. That's, that's awesome. Oh, I'm yeah. going to end it with this, Laura, some encouragement. Uh, uh, when you're in a position where you need to say no, you know, think about speaking to that little girl that you were speaking about and, and speak to yourself. Oh, my um, gosh. That was a good one, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's like a don't cry through yes, right? Don't cry through yes. Yeah, wow. Wow. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take your copay at the end of the, at the end of the session. Yeah, these are like... <laughs> goodness that is crazy because the technician that's like she does everything else so much for our market that brings so much quality she i'm gonna give that to her too because that's wonderful all right well thank you for taking the time uh, laura yeah, i uh even though we've known each other for you know a few years now i, I learned more things today which I'm, I'm really you know appreciative of so i really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us of course thank you guys for having me of course all right take care bye, bye. You know, we talk about, you know, how something we talked about in, in, with, with our guests leads to something in, in behavior analysis. And I tend to like think about like more advanced or abstract concepts, but there's some basic things in our science that um, we should talk about. And one is positive reinforcement. Mm. And what is positive reinforcement? I think it's an often misunderstood statement. It's definitely misused in like popular culture. Um, sure. And so positive reinforcement um, is, uh, you know, it's a definition based off function. So let's talk a little bit about what, what the function is. So positive reinforcement is the uh, positive, the addition of, which is the positive part, the addition of a stimulus that, you know, follows some response uh, that increases the likelihood of the future frequency of that response, right? So um, if... Um, when I talk to you, Lisa, and you respond to me, um, that would be positive reinforcement if I am more likely to continue to talk to you in the future, right? Sure. I think it, you know, typically when you hear people talk about positive reinforcement or people attack the idea of positive reinforcement, they're thinking about like these um, external types of reward systems or things that, um, you know, kids earn or like are bribed with and like, you know, you need to like think about like the intrinsic nature of things. And like, really that's like a straw man argument against a construct that doesn't really exist in our field. Positive mm -hmm. reinforcement can be a lot of things. It can be external. Yeah. It can be a values-based thing to like, if I'm making decisions that align to my values, that could be positive reinforcement. In what made me think about positive reinforcement was, was with Laura, which is she just had this idea to do this TikTok thing. Right. Mm -hmm. She just made this video. But as a result of her doing that and engaging in those responses, the the feedback, the the likes, the views function as reinforcement so that she was more likely to and did engage in more videos in the future. Right. Yeah. And she so continued the behavior. Yep. Continue the behavior. And so that's that's, you know, it is like that is exactly what positive reinforcement is. Um, and it's something that uh, I think is often misunderstood um, and something that we, I think we need to embrace more because um, there's, there's two, there's two different types of reinforcement. The other side is negative reinforcement, which is mm -hmm. the removal of a stimulus following a response that leads to that behavior, that response happening more, you know, more in the future. So like the removal of like, a boss that's upset with you. The boss is no longer upset with me because I do this, then I'm more likely to do that. That's not an enjoyable experience, right? That, that doesn't give you joy as a function for the most part, but positive reinforcement is, is, is a much more joyful thing, mm -hmm. a much more enjoyable mm -hmm. thing. So um, I thought we'd spend some time talking about positive reinforcement um, in the, the few minutes that we have left. And can I ask, I, and usually I, I apply it to work and I think I would like to do that, but yeah. also just kind of applying it, like thinking like as a parent, right? Probably yep. what I see is positive reinforcement and you can tell me like I use this correctly or didn't, but we are potter training my son. Yep. He was very motivated by Oreos. Yeah. 
at the time, right? And so in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's positive reinforcement. Can be. Then I think about some of the behaviors that he does now. I mean, seven and a half, right? So yep. we're talking very far away from from the potty training days. But I try to think about like things that he's doing, and you know, you've got kids around that same age, mm-hmm. and like maybe he just repeats the same word because it's like a fun thing that he and his friends say, and it's funny in that context. But at home, like instead of saying like, oh, you know. That, that's not as funny, you know, as yeah. you might think it is, but sometimes I'll just try and like, you know, let him say it, but maybe not respond and not yeah. engage. Yeah. And I guess my question is, is that like negative reinforcement or am I working more towards extinction or like what would yeah. that sort of a behavior be if like a behavior happens that you don't want to give any sort of like yep. feedback to? So like here's where like human beings are really complex. Okay. Um, so Let's take a step back and talk about potty training first. Oreos. Okay. Um, so, uh, what we what the term I like to use for like the use of like an Oreo um, for potty training is what's we call a prosthetic reinforcer. Okay. So, like, think of like a prosthetic. It's something that props you up. Is like mm. a crutch of some sort. It's something that like gets the thing happening, but it's not the thing that you want to always be needed, right? Um, and so. Um, it's important to use prosthetic reinforcement when like a behavior is just not occurring and we need to figure out some outside thing that we can like prop this, prop this behavior up. But so like that, that works, right? So like for my kids, it was before Skittles were against the law in California. Like we use Skittles cause they like Skittles. Um, and, um, but like, so that was initially the positive reinforcer for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, um, it, what you want to happen is just like the behavior itself is reinforcing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, um, we could probably go back and forth between is this negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement for potty training? Cause you're also avoiding like peeing your pants. Right. Which and that could be is, uncomfortable, which is uncomfortable yep. in history of that or the shame around other mm-hmm. people avoiding yourself. And so like, there's probably a negative reinforcement contingency there. Um, there's also though, like, especially for these, your, your young kids or anyone that's being potty trained for that matter a sense of joy and a sense of like pride and independence that I am grown up now. I, I can handle myself. Right. Yeah. And so accomplishment, the accomplishment. So the accomplishment could also serve as a positive reinforcement. Right. So for them. So that's that, like, you know, I think most people, when they talk about positive reinforcement, they think about the Oreo, mm-hmm. but actually like even just feeling accomplishment is a positive reinforcer. And so that can also maintain behavior. And is that kind of a thought you were saying between like the camps of intrinsic for sure, which is like, I feel good about myself versus extrinsic, which is I enjoy an Oreo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and like everything typically starts out on the outside, um, mm-hmm. is an external thing. And, and eventually it, through a, a history of learning and conditioning becomes much more intrinsic as they would say. Sure. We, we no longer have to give my son Oreos. For right? sure. For sure. <laughs> um, now to your, uh, your topic around um, language and like my, my five-year-old right now, like he just sells, he, he yells out, let's go all the time. <laughs> like, I don't know why he's saying that. I don't know where he's going, but like it's a thing his, his friends do and his peer, his, his peer group says yeah. like, let's go. Um, and so here's the thing. You get enough reinforcement for it at school. Even if your mom doesn't like reinforce it, it's still going to, it's still going to continue. Right. Yeah. And so what you can do is create what's called audience control or audience awareness, which is like, okay. in this context, this behavior is going to be reinforced in this context, this behavior is not being reinforced. Right. And so, um, that's going to take some time, right? Like, um, and I, you know, we all do that to some degree around like how we speak the certain mm-hmm. audiences. Right you can have a conversation with them. You can continue to like not provide reinforcement. The thing that you have to be worried about is if attention is the thing that's maintaining that you just telling them and having a conversation with them. Oh, we don't do that. Right. Like that could just be the attention that he needs. Right. Like yeah. my, uh, my four year old right now is, is having a really hard time with the addition of, of Hunter, our newborn. Sure. And I was talking to Tiffany about this, that like, he is somewhat adjacent to everyone's like to, to, to our life right now. Right. Like it's like, he's there with Hunter and us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the things that we're doing may not be as reinforcing to him as if we were doing them without Hunter. Right. Mm. Like just our one-on-one attention. And so how much one-on-one attention can we give? Um, The reason why I bring that up is because 
the other concept, the other thought that we need to talk about positive reinforcement is because it's a functional definition based off the change in the behavior. Oftentimes people think about like formal characteristics of like how it looks, the topography. So we might think of like, if I say something nice to someone that's positive reinforcement, if I say something mean to someone that's, you know, punishment, but it's really based off the, the, the change in the behavior that occurs. Right. Mm. And so if, um, the only attention you get from your parent is one when they're like nagging you to do something or one when you're upset, there's a chance that that actually serves as reinforcement. Um, because it's like, if they keep doing the behavior and you are providing some type of like, you know, like negative statement after that, um, and the behavior still continues, it's possible that that attention, regardless of if it's like a good quality interaction or not, is still a positive reinforcer because the behavior continues to happen. I like how you're like, yeah, you know, usually we talk about uh, bigger concepts, but I'm going to like <laughs> simplify it. And I'm like, wow, this is, you know, it, it is complex, right? Cause what could be a reinforcer to one is not to the next. And like, it just, it seems really unique to obviously the environment and a bunch of different circumstances. And, you know, it's like, oh gosh, yeah, this is why our board certified behavior analysts have a master's degree and yeah. did 1500 to 2000 hours of practicum. It's because it's not necessarily so like, it's not cut and binary. dry. Yeah, yeah, it's not for sure, which is really interesting. I worked, uh, I, so just to take it back in grad school, I worked with a client who, was getting in trouble a lot in school. And we did a lot of different interventions to try to use prosthetic reinforcement to figure out what was going on. And there may have been a lot of things at play, but one of the things that was at play was um, his dad worked two jobs. And um, the only time that he was getting with his dad was when he was getting in trouble. Like his dad would like stay up instead of going to sleep at 8 a.m. His dad would stay up um, and like, um, and even those interactions that most parents would think is punitive in nature were the only moments that he had with his, with his son. And his son, like, it, it appeared as if, and I didn't do a functional analysis to determine if that was the actual thing, but what we did do was put an intervention in place to where he got 20 quality minutes with his dad every morning at the start of the day. And, and we saw a shift in, in behavior. That's a very nuanced thing, but that's an example of like what we intend or what we think like is the impact the behavior is going to tell us and the future of that behavior is going to tell us like, are we having the intended impact or are we not having the intended impact? Yeah. Gosh, like that's, yeah, it's interesting because everyone comes to the table just wired so differently, right? Yeah. On like what their needs are or the context or the environment their history, they grew up in. Yeah. History, and so yeah. you could think, I mean, I would think a classic example is like, talk about like a leader and a team member right and if they're getting like not good feedback on something and for engaging in a behavior right yep. and then the the leader actually gives them the feedback right yep. but for whatever reason they they're thinking that would be a negative reinforcer but it ends up being a positive reinforcer and like that but behavior continues and then yeah. meeting it's like a cycle of this over and over yeah. and it's like gosh i'm giving the feedback and it's like Sure, but if you're not getting the desired outcome, you got to shift. You got to try something different. And yep. you got to just, yeah, I think that's why, to me, like our care model being so child specific and also like leading with dig dignity and empathy, I think it brings out probably more than you would see if it's just kind of like compliant based mm -hmm. just ABA. To, just to add real quick, uh, correction on your term. So when I, uh, and uh, let's say a, a boss is providing feedback for something to mm -hmm. stop. Um, like, I don't want you to do this anymore. I want you to do this. Mm -hmm. um, the thing you don't want them to do, if you're providing corrective feedback in that way, that's actually a positive punisher. Like they're trying to, they're probably, they're trying to positively punish the behavior. Mm. So like when this response occurs, I get critical feedback from my boss. And so that that response doesn't occur in the future. Hmm. Um, what would you recommend instead? No, I think that's, I think it's, Solely appropriate. Um, so there, there's a there's a couple ways you go about doing it, but um, yeah, it's actually let's let's end with that because I think that applies to a lot to to like just leadership and, and our work with humans and adults is there's this general saying or general like concept of like the sandwich method of feedback, right? Mm. Say some like good things, provide mm -hmm. some feedback, say some bad, say some more good things, right? So the question that you have to ask yourself as a leader is: Are you trying to like stop something from happening? Or are you trying to keep some uh, keep 
like make something happen, right? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to stop something from happening, you should provide direct feedback. And in that instance, positive punishment has like some like negative connotations of like, oh, that's bad, but it's not. Like if you're just like, this is what's happening. This is against our values. Like this is not aligned to our policy. Like it can't happen anymore. I need you to ensure with me that like, we're not gonna go down this path anymore. Like that is a conversation to positively punish like the, the behavior that employees engaging with is a completely appropriate. Um, mm -hmm. But when you sandwich it in between uh, good things, um, what you do is you in essence like neuter the punishment and you like make the, the nice things like kind of like meaningless, right? And so um, what a better approach is to like provide the corrective feedback when it needs to be happy needs to happen mm -hmm. and provide the positive reinforcement and praise when that needs to happen. But don't yeah. mix the two because then you just like, you make them both somewhat meaningless. Yeah. I had actually listened to a podcast on this recently, right? Mm. I think we've been talking, I've been listening to the hidden brain a lot and they had a psychologist come on and talk about how ineffective the sandwich method is, but it's actually more about it's easier for the deliverer of feedback oh, for to sure. do that. It's an and escape, so they maintain thing. trick themselves sure. into thinking when really it, it is confusing and people don't walk away with the message that you intended. And so, well, you can hide behind thinking like, well, he's being nice, right? It's like yeah. to your exact point, being kind to somebody is providing very direct feedback in the moment and providing very direct praise in the moment and not conflating the two. Yeah, the statement that I like continue to come back to is clear is kind uh, from Brene yeah. Brown. Um, being mm -hmm. clear is kind and that means being clear when it's corrective, being clear when it's like reinforcing and mm -hmm. um, always communicate with clarity. Yeah. You know, I appreciated that. And I, I want to remember this maybe for next time, but there was um, a term they used where, you know, if you're asking for feedback and it's like, what do you think of my presentation? Mm. And sometimes the leader will be like, ah, well, I really like the colors you used on mm -hmm. that slide. Right. And um, it's like, well, you gave feedback, but it was actually really misleading because that's not how you felt. Yeah. But we think like human nature is like, oh, I got to be positive. It got to be positive. Yeah. But like we all actually, you know, there was another study they talked about, but like the preference is actually for truth. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think what they came to is the basis of that being effective was what we talked about earlier. It's like psychological safety and that you need to feel connection and that you know that that person's motives were in the right place. So if yep. you've got trust, that's kind of like the staple there. Um, people actually wanted and like had really favorable responses to honest, open feedback. Yeah. yeah so that's well, where like clear is kind for sure. Clear is kind on both fronts, right? Even the person mm -hmm. asking for what you think, like you can yeah. be more clear about that. Like ask them more specific because that makes me think of a uh, John Austin and um, a conversation him and I had, I had just given a presentation at ABAI or our, our largest conference as a, mm -hmm. as a field. And he was in the audience and um, I asked him that question, like, you know, how do you think it went? He's like, do you want to hear the feedback right now? Or do you like, should, should we like schedule some time and talk about it later? And I thought that was a very kind approach to talk about. Like he could tell that I was on an emotional high of like a really good thing, but he had some constructive feedback and he's like, this may not be the most appropriate time, mm -hmm. which I really appreciated versus just like giving me some inauthentic answer um, that uh, it maybe didn't resonate with me or yeah. have the impact. I appreciate And I do think, you know, timing is key. I was just talking to one of my HR business partners, Kendra, about that, you know, and we always like to say you should coach as close as possible to the incident happening. So you mm -hmm. don't have to like remember it or rehash it or someone doesn't recall. And the research shows that you should positively enforce as soon as, as quick as possible to the response sure. as well. Yeah. yeah. But there's like, you know, there's a time and a place. If someone For is sure. like really sick, this happened, right? Someone was really sick and they needed some feedback on something. And it's like, wait a couple days. Mm -hmm. Like you got to think about that because how's the person going to receive it? Or if, you know, maybe you have really relevant feedback, but you found out they just had a death in the family. That's not the right to like yeah. your message will not be heard. And so, yeah, kind of thinking about that, like don't, don't not talk about it, but you should wait a little bit and then be kind in sharing the direct feedback. hundred percent. Cause you think about like positive reinforcement as a functional definition you want this to be received and you want it to have the impact that you're trying to have. And it's not just about saying it. It was like, mm -hmm. like, if I just say this, like then I'm off the hook, but it's more about the impact that you want to have. And it's like, when is the right time to have that impact? Um, and like making sure that both people are like consenting to that, 
and agreeing to that time. Sure. I think it's valuable. Sure. Awesome. Well, I always enjoy these conversations, Lisa. Um, yeah, I do as well. I feel like they, they get me to think about things really differently and holistically, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about personal, we talked about work, and I think this gets both sides of my brain kind of ticking with that. So I really appreciate it. Even though we talked about a simple concept today, <laughs> <laughs> it gave me a lot more to think about with regard to that. So thank you. Wonderful. All right. Until next time. Take care. And that concludes another episode of us telling the stories of our incredible staff and their work to support our powerful mission. Until next week, do wonders. Do wonders.